Hello, I'm Eamon. I'm Conrad. I'm Luke. And we are Mega, Mega City, City Mega Film Club. Club. The Film Club has returned because we have another listener joining the Film Club. Luke Williams, who's already been on the Book Club a couple of times, is back because he made a couple of film suggestions for us. Luke, welcome to the Film Club, first off. Uh, um, thank you, Eamon. Thank you, Conrad. As regular listeners will know, Conrad and I have expanded now to cover any film that we can tie into 2000 AD and British comics in general. And Luke, you've got two suggestions for us. Why don't you start us off with film one? Okay, film one is um, Hardware. Um, it's a 1980 film written and directed by Richard Stanley. stars Stacey Travis, Dylan McDermott, and it's got notable cameos from Iggy Pop, Carl McCoy, for, um, who's in a band called Fields and Nephilim, which I hope I pronounced that correctly, and 2008 fan Lemmy. Woo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's... <laughs> As a as a plot, it may be familiar to many 2000 AD fans. Essentially, it's set in the future where there's vast overpopulation. There's a huge overpopulation problem. Um, the film opens with a scavenger going across a wasteland and gathering a, a broken down old robot. Takes that robot back to um, like a, a scrap dealer. And that scrap dealer then sells it on to an ex-soldier called Mo, played by Dylan McDermott. The scrap dealer's carried out an examination on the robot and sort of feels that it's deactivated and it's safe and it wasn't a, 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 a dangerous robot in the first place anyway. Um, Mo takes it to his girlfriend as a Christmas present because she likes sculpting and she sort of does a lot of uh, work with metal and welding and this sort of stuff. And she starts integrating into her latest work. However, turns out, that the robot isn't actually um, safe. It reactivates and basically causes carnage in the flat. Oh, no. Every <laughs> oh, no, time. No. <laughs> I hate it when that happens, yes. Um, absolutely. <laughs> so before we, are, before we, um, we uh, do the obvious connection to 2000 AD, Conrad, if somebody offers you a bag of military robot X parts and bits and pieces, would you take it home? <laughs> You know, I guess I wouldn't, but if I, if I or someone in my life was like a welding and melted baby doll style sculptor, maybe like that would, that would change the equation a little bit more. You know, if it was a war robot and that it was a bunch of Warhammer parts, like I definitely, I definitely give a thought, you know? <laughs> and Conrad, in Space Minute 2000, you've probably covered the Judge Dredd annual 1981 more recently than perhaps Luke and myself. Tell us about the obvious uh, story that inspired this movie. Yeah, it's based on the story Shock by Steve McManus and Kev O'Neill Yeah, from the 81 annual. And the story itself is sort of... Um, it's sort of a knock on from the uh, the cursed Earth story. Like the robot is one of the war ro- is one of the war droids that uh, Dread fought in the uh, deserts um, of like the Las Vegas area, I guess, leading into Mega City Two and stuff like that. And you know, there's all these little things. Then takes back again. I mean, so after that's a very similar story of it's sort of a traveling a uh, traveling boyfriend takes wardroid parts back to his artist's his artist girlfriend in this case she lives in the Andy Warhol block and in this case though um instead of just sort of generally coming alive due to uh 
art art purposes it uh draws you know it uh, draws power from a wise cracking vacuum cleaner and then there's your sort of you know standard i guess uh cat and mouse you know monster fighting kind of thing she's locked in oh it's a whole thing we gotta figure out you know gotta be clever to take it out and does she take it out Ooh, there's a twist ending that kind of thing yeah absolutely um so luke when did you first encounter this film i got well i've got to i think it came out i think i saw it just after it came out on video so this is 1990 isn't it so i think it was 1991 so i was about 18 so it's it's that long ago, and um, I remember at the time one of the reasons it stuck with me. I, I I'll, I'll be honest, I haven't watched it since. But when I um, I always remember it, particularly because of the shock connection, because uh, I was a 2008 reader then anyway, and I remember thinking at the time how much I loved it. Um, but I was 18. <laughs> and it's described it <laughs> as a 1990 cult cyberpunk movie. Uh, in terms of its opening, with the sort of the weird junk gathering loner striding in from the uh, the bright orange cursed earth, it's a pretty impressive opening uh, for a movie that probably spends most of the time after that inside on st- uh, on sets. I'm guessing. Yeah, it, it does. It does look really impressive. I mean, the sequence when you got. Lemmy, who's uh, who cameos as a taxi driver, and I think from rightly it sort of plugs a bit of motorhead as well because he plays his bass. He does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's right, yeah. yeah, plays his own band in there like a like a like a nerd, you know. Well, well these um, guys are pretty good, he says. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, double pay game, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, all that's sort of quite nice, but after um, all that's sort of quite good because it's all sort of out filmed outdoors and everything else but yeah you're right basically from when the moment the the robot gets into the apartment then a lot of it is sort of in quite a claustrophobic dark and it's and it's very dark the lighting is 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 very dark um area so there's not a lot of variation in set obviously because it's it's meant to be quite claustrophobic and uh, and imposing i guess um it's it's sort of when we're outdoors it's the obligatory mad max dystopian post-apocalyptic yeah. landscape and the costumes are conrad and i discussed this many times that as soon as you get to a post-apocalypse everybody's reaching for the leather and the weird gloves <laughs> or has dylan mcdermott got a bionic hand yeah is, yeah is it is it bionic because it I, I saw I saw it had some sort of metal thing on it, but I, was that ever fully explained? I can't remember. No, 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 I didn't think so. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. It's definitely I just not it explained some, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was some sort of fancy hand that he had from the wars. But yeah, Bionic would make more sense, wouldn't it? I thought it was really interesting just because the movie, um, like, it has a couple. It sort of moves between influences, basically, like because the start is very mad, as you say, Mad Max post-apocalyptic sort of thing. And mm-hmm. then it feels like it move. It sort of shifts to being in, um, influenced by a little Blade Runner. And then I'd say a lot alien also yeah. sort of as you as you get to the end. Like to me, I think really like. If Richard Stanley had one piece, one thing on his like vision board or like concept art besides just the Dread um, store or the uh, the the story from the Dread annual, it's that one picture from I think is it what one of the Alien movies that's just like Sigourney Weaver sort of cowering on one side of this of the of the of, of the uh, 
of the screen and then the alien face like sort of you know next to her like as she sort of hides you know cowers away from it basically because that scene takes place at least four or five times in the film with the with uh the, with the main actress and 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 the robot coming after her, basically. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The notes I got here is that um, there's a. It, it seems to sort of tap into that post aliens alien sort of look and feel of a film. So yeah, the sort of oppressive future, all the green screens for the, the show technology, um, everything sort of metal and a bit dark. That seems to be it's perpetually night for most of it, and one of the characters just. Mm perpetually wear sunglasses throughout it and <laughs> and there's there's a even a little almost like a little bit of robocop in there as well but, but for the um, adverts everything else in it so yeah. he seems to you're right i think he's taken a lot of influences from lots of different films um and possibly possibly overdone it a little bit but yeah yeah there's, there's, <laughs> there's, there's definitely a heavy heavy that sort of late 80s early 90s sort of let's do cyberpunk and let's just throw the kitchen sink at it Absolutely. And you've got to have a character who wears sunglasses all the time. He's called Shades. It seems obligatory. Although his apartment that he lives in seems to be... He's clearly much better off than these sort of um, junk-scavenging punks that the rest of the, 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 the cast. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> I trout like, it's... You know, because it's got so many influences like that, it makes the movie feel like... Like you're just whiplashing around a little bit, you know, maybe I'm just assuming when I see Mad Max stuff at the start, it means that society has completely fallen, like total post-apocalyptic rule of rule of nature, you know, weird, um, you know, a Morton Joe uh, warlords and stuff. But then they get back to the city and like there's a president, there's an e- there's the evening news you know, she's an artist on welfare, you know, <laughs> they sort of make, you know, <laughs> that Mobix jokes about and stuff like that. Um, you know, and it, it, like there's way there's way more society than the opening let, led me to believe, which makes it, you know, a little bit confusing, I guess. Or Yeah. And then Shades is sort of, I don't know, like talks about sort of going up to space and sort of trips out to a homemade spacescape in his apartment there's another apartment that where like um, an Asian family's basically built like a stereotypical Chinese restaurant that they live in down there. Um, there's a lot of like a lot of ideas were thrown at the wall again to sort of make this big um, like thing of a movie that makes it feel a little confused or sort of like what's the act you know what's like I don't I don't I'm not too into world building but sort of what's the world here like what's what's this setting exactly like you know. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take us uh, into the sets and take us into the apartment of Stacy Travis, where the robot that she has created a sculpture from has now started to reassemble and power itself. And it's going to become, as you say, it's very much like Alien stalking her through her apartment that she's locked in. Um, I'm guessing, Luke, it's quite dark because... They had a, con- a combination of sort of animatronic puppetry for this, the robot, and they probably have to hide quite a bit from us, the audience, to, or we'd see how it's done. Oh yeah, I think that's 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 probably a fair comment. Um, but I think I think also coming back to the point earlier on about um, like films like Aliens, I think it's I think it's also partly from a practical purpose, but also partly maybe that they were trying to give some sort of uh, atmosphere of 
uh, oppression and of course it's in the dark it's scarier generally it's that whole sort of horrible beastie sort of stalking somebody and you can't see and, and the con- and the confusion but i think maybe a bit early for this but i think he's sort of gone a little bit too far on that and it just i think it just makes the film a little bit now it, it as, as a film with the lighting because uh, there's, there's a lot of red splashes and that sort of stuff as well. I mean, to more, now, to be honest, it's, it's a little bit migraine-inducing, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, there's, there's definitely practical uh, reasons behind it. I mean, after reading the, after listening to the um, the short, the well, I wouldn't say short interview with Richard Stanley that you um, suggested we listen to, Conrad, um, he sounds, mm-hmm. sounds like quite an intense bloke. He sounds like he's definitely got a vision. Um, and maybe he sort of thought, well, this is my, this is his first feature, I think, wasn't it? His first full feature, and I think well, maybe yeah. he sort of thought, right, let's um, let's just go for broke, you know. But I think he's taken he's taken a lot of his influences, but instead of sort of tempering them as he should have to make a a, a more watchable film, he's just sort of, as Conrad said, just throw them all at the wall. Yeah, I always think of Stanley from. Uh, I don't know if you have seen this. There's a really excellent documentary. Um, about his work in the film, The Island of Dr. Moreau, yes. where he was sort of the director briefly. Well, yeah, yeah. And it's sort of his own personal sort of descent into madness <laughs> dealing oh, with right. the film and the, and the difficulties therein and stuff like that. He's a very, like, interesting kind of tragic figure in that movie. I'd really recommend it just if you're sort of interested, actually, in filmmaking generally, but, but, but Richard Stanley specifically. Yeah, I mean, again, I – yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No. No, no. I was always going to say was is that the, the, the interview I thought was fascinating because he explains his his life just before the film was actually optioned and actually greenlit to go and where he was. He was in Afghanistan, wasn't he? he and was, he was yeah. working for um, what kind of he's doing? He's working for work for charity or something like that, yeah. and he'd been shot at and all sorts of things. He's he's a very colourful character. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Conrad. Absolutely, yeah. And I think you know very much this movie again just really feels like. All the yeah, all these influences, all these again, like just a list of things that are cool. You know, there's like the the predator, like repeating things that pre- previous characters have said, kind of thing. All these different, like you know, as you even as I think about it, just we go through it. You know, you see just all these different little different elements of things put together. You know, that makes it kind of a mashup movie, I guess, and that can work really well. Like I think, like you know, the Matrix is like the ultimate mashup movie. I think. I think it it, stu- it does stumble a little bit here just because there's sort of there's so many influences, but there's not enough uh, not enough focus. I, I guess one thing, of course, that this film does that the comic could not do is there's quite a lot of sex in it. So there's one obvious there's a big mm. sex scene near the beginning where we even have the creepy neighbor spying on them and giving us the very male gaze. But the robot itself is, I noted, um, it's got a sort of drill feature, which is incredibly phallic and used sort of like mm. to menace Stacey Travis at points. Um, it's a, yeah, it's, it's almost, there's a shower scene as well. There's like, it's a bit psycho-ish as well mm. in all these elements that he's thrown in there. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't considered that. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that that makes them like that dates the move the movie as much as anything else. I guess this idea that you know there's got to be you know we're it, it's R rated for violence anyway, so we got to have some nudity in there and stuff like that. And as all and in this era, it seems like when there's nudity, that means there's got to be like you know uh, a menace as well. You know, 
like it's uh, it's very much like like part and parcel like i you know i could have done without the creepy neighbor or even just like you know because he's just there to kind of be i guess almost like a secondary bad guy for a second and then be basically just an initial low calorie kill for the for the robot right he's he's pretty much we pretty much have this like so a couple fairly uncomfortable scenes, to my mind, frankly, of him like peeping on Stacey Travis, doing obscene phone calls and stuff, basically just so that he can then be violently killed, you know, and we don't we don't feel that bad about it versus if he was just a random neighbor that had come by to help her or something like that. And, you know? and that's X-Wing pilot Porkins from Star Wars. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like he's got like he's in like two movies and it's like you know <laughs> the he gets blown neighbor. up yeah. blown up the Death Star and he's a really creepy dude in uh, in hardware you know creeps his way into Stacy Travis's apartment and becomes the first kill for the uh, the reformed yeah. robot. I noted reading the shock comic again. I noted that there's um, there's at least one direct lift, which is the fridge scene, is in the comic where she figures out that the robot's vision is heat sensitive and she hides herself in the fridge, and that's directly in the film. I don't know. Did either of you notice any other sort of like direct lifts apart from the concept? No, I can't say. I can't say I did. Yeah, unless uh, Colin's got something. Actually, I thought that the uh, the junk dealer oh, actually right. they hired a um, oh. like in the comic the junk dealer is this like um, like dude with giant teeth is really weird looking I guess yeah. and then they hired a, a little person to be the junk dealer in the in the uh, in the movie and I think that was sort of like a you know if not a you know if not not a direct carryover but sort of a like all right like we're sort of you know this is who we're casual you want kind of a weird looking or a, a non-standard um, lo- looking person for like the junk dealer character. I thought that was kind of a, an, an echo of the comic, at least. That's Mark Northover playing Alvy, the junk yeah. dealer. And he gave me the vibe of when they cast Ian Jury as the junk dealer in the Judge Dredd movie a few years after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, you got to have kind of, everybody's got to be a, a a little weird yeah, exactly. when you're dealing in, in used robot parts. You know, it's not a, uh, it's, it's, it's not a nine to five job, I guess. <laughs> so the guy from Fields of the Nephilim wanders in from the Cursed Earth with this bag of bits. Uh, the junk dealer ends up giving it to Dylan McDermott. Stacey Travis makes a sculpture. It then, you know evil killer robots and there's a whole sort of well there's a bunch of set pieces in the apartment i guess with the robot trying to kill her or kill other people um Mm -hmm. before we get to the sort of dramatic conclusion um as you've said luke it's sort of it's quite frenetic in its direction and editing there's an awful lot of quick cuts to tv screens showing us weird bits of old film and new stuff um it did give me a little bit of a headache now watching it it's that sort of film yeah yeah that's right it's um yeah it, it's it's just a bit like i say it's just a bit full-on i think it's definitely of an era mm. um i mean um conrad's mentioned um the matrix the, the, the matrix you can see the mate you can trace the matrix back through films like this but the matrix is mm. just far more far better made um but right. you can also see within hardware all the other cyberpunk films around about the same period. I mean, we've also mentioned 
Aliens, the, the original one. I mean, there's echoes of Blade Runner as well, particularly with uh, uh, Cityscape. I mean, hardware. There's, um, to be honest, what looks like my hometown, Portalbet, the steelworks. <laughs> there's, there's, there's the sequences of like that. They're sort of heavily industrial and that sort of thing. All the echoes of Mad Max. Um, but yeah, it, it it just seems to be. Um, it sort of lacks. It lacks subtlety, I think, sometimes. And I think it's, I find as a film, it's quite. I think I may because I'm getting older, but and it definitely appealed to me as a teenager. I think it, de- it definitely did that then. But I th- like my f- hard edge science fiction films occasionally with a little bit of lightness. You just need that little bit mm. to take the edge off. And I think this is just relentlessly furrow-browed, gritted teeth, you know, chaos and carnage, particularly towards the end of the film. And like you say, some of the... some of the, um, it's not, I don't think it's a film being made the same way these days, particularly as what you mentioned about the um, the appendages, shall we say, on the robot. Yes. Um, that they would definitely be uh, completely off the table now. Yeah. And like, and, and I think that the... What lightness there is doesn't really hit. I mean, I guess like sort of shades being high or whatever, like having an, an extended like trip out sequence is sort of moderate. The like angry Asian um, downstairs neighbors who think that it's just like the young couple having sex when there's robots running around killing people. So they're like, you know, hitting the ceiling with the broom or whatever. D- doesn't hit as much in, in 2023 versus 1990, maybe. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a uh, yeah, it's just like, like a grim little movie, basically, mm. <laughs> which, grim. And, yeah. <laughs> and for its, for its, like, you know, I, I, yeah, I think that, you know, the monster design or the, the robot design is pretty good and there is sort of, there's de- definitely something in like the cuts and stuff like that. that I think makes it I- interesting. It's still it's 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 still real dark. Like in any way you can you want to define that when it comes to movies, basically. <laughs> like it's a dark film. It's got dark subject matter. It's got all this stuff. It's just so yeah. It's, I mean, I think one of the notes I put down is that it's just it's just nihilistic, <laughs> completely. Mm-hmm. Um, Richard Stanley's first feature, uh, he says um, that he had this idea in a, for this story from when he was a kid. He'd been working on this script since he was a kid. I'm guessing he read a certain Judge Dredd annual in when he was, you know, a youngster in 1981. Um, Fleetway, obviously, at the time, once the film came out, I think it was hard to deny the connections to shock. And so that now I think... I don't know if it happened for the video release, but certainly for the DVD release, it features at the end, it says, based on a story by Steve McManus and Kevin O'Neill. I don't know if any money changed hands, because this film, I don't think it made an awful lot of money. It wasn't a huge box office hit. No. Um, but, I mean, I mean, ultimately, I think, um, at, least, at least at the very least, then, it, it credit where credit is due. I mean, you could argue, then, this is the first... 2080 big screen adaptation isn't it yeah um even though it's even though it's backward <laughs> even though it's he was caught out rather than um rather than actually sort of seeking the license officially um you're right i mean i don't think the the the, the, the apart from obviously they've expanded on the storyline and maybe the setting is the setting certainly dark and they're taken away from mega city one and the cursed earth and everything else it's it's Broad, well, more than broadly, it follows the plot of Shock so closely 
it's it's, it's unequivocal, really, isn't it? Unarguable. Yeah. So the big question is, is this film any good and would we recommend it to 2000AD fans? Luke, you picked it. Start us off. Well, <laughs> like I say, I, I watched it um, 32 years ago and at the time I really, really liked it. Um, it's it's actually, I, I don't know how you guys managed to find a copy, but I managed to find a copy. Uh, it's on YouTube for free. You got adverts every few minutes, but it's there. As a film, it, it's it's you know what it's okay. I don't I don't think I would rush out and watch it again. If you haven't watched it, I think it's probably worth watching. Just to say, if nothing else, as if you're a 2008 fan and you watch this and you're of an age like three of us are, you'd remember the fuss when the film came out. And if you haven't seen it before, then it's definitely worth watching to compare with the 2000 with the 1981 annual annual. But as a film, yeah, it's 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 far too grim. Is is a perfect way of describing it for me now. It's far too grim. It's, it's far too dark and everything else. I, you know, if, if that's your bag, then great. But if you're looking at something with a little bit more humour, a little bit more lightness, then mm, no, you're not going to find it here. I don't think, Conrad. Yeah, I mean, I'd I'd echo Luke's thoughts basically, like. It's it's an it's a really interesting curiosity. This sort of random film that is based on a 2000 AD story, just because those are, you know, th- those are pretty rare. I mean, I feel like, you know, if, if we're looking for things that are like specifically, literally based on 2000 AD films or 2000 AD stories, I should say, like it's this and the two Judge Dredd movies, basically. So I think that it's you know. It's 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 got that that um, status as a uh, as as a curiosity almost, or sort of like a here's here here's the first one. I don't know if it like if it really stands on its own as a film. Otherwise, it very much we've t- uh, you know we've talked a lot about its um, influences and stuff, and it very much feels like a sort of late eight you know mid to late eighties early nineties like sci fi like sort of low budget sci- sci-fi screamer basically um and doesn't have too much to i i feel like it, it, it doesn't have too much to recommend it beyond sort of the the that uh or for a 2000 ad fan definitely it, it, it doesn't have too much to recommend it beyond that pedigree i guess Okay, well, that was our first film, which followed. Sorry, what do you think, Eamon? What do you think of Hardware? I thought it gave me. Well, it gave me sort of migraine watching it. I found I found the <laughs> the filming and editing slightly uh, tricky. I had seen it before, uh, but rewatching it this time, I was struck by that. I was also. I found it slightly difficult to divorce this film from some of the troubles around it, from Richard Stanley being mm. a an unusual filmmaker, and also that its star, Stacey Travis, this was a Miramax film, and we know that she was, Harvey Weinstein attempted, uh, mm. you know, to get into her room and dressing room and things like that, uh, and that probably she didn't get much of a film career afterwards because she said no. So I found that mm. slightly that was in my mind. I think that this is a slightly tricky film for that reason. Plus, sure. of course, it's a direct steal from 2000 AD without much in the way of um, obvious credits. So no, I can't say yeah. that I was mad about it, Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, as I say, that was a film that came after 2000 AD. We're now going to go and reverse the cycle to a film that came before 2000 AD. Conrad, take us to our second feature. Film 2, The Valley of Guanji. 1969, Western fantasy. Here we go. Cowboys and dinosaurs, it's the dream, you know. <laughs> Somewhere, a literal little little English kid's very excited. I finally got my dinosaurs and, and cowboys. Uh, listen. It is directed by Jim O'Connolly, uh, script by William Bast and Julian Moore, based on, on, on a story by Willis O'Brien, the King Kong guy. Um, it's Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> is it, it could just be King Kong, actually. <laughs> starring, I'd put in our notes, Troy McClure and crossed it out, starring James Franciscus, <laughs> uh, who is, let's say, is he bargain bin Charlton Heston? Gila Colan and Lawrence Naismith as the professor. I noticed Lawrence Naismith is in a classic British ghost story called The Amazing Mr. Blunden, but most notably he played Argo, the shipbuilder in Jason and the Argonauts, because this is a Ray Harryhausen film. Oh, yeah, that's the real star of the film, <laughs> I would definitely say, is, is Ray Harryhausen's um, um, creature effects here. Yeah, you know, listen, a Wild West show comes to a Mexican town. And there's and meanwhile, James Francis oh, he's a city slicker. He's got ambitions. It it it, it doesn't matter one way or another. Um, the Wild West show has acquired a tiny horse and it's going to make them a star, Jerry. But they also meet a paleontologist who says the tiny horse is a prehistoric horse. And Euhippus, I believe, doesn't have hooves, whatever, baby horse. Um, and then events transpire and they go to the baby horse's home which is this sort of lost world slash skull island slash you know whatever place full of uh, di- of them dinosaurs and that's when Ray Harryhausen shows up we got some good dinosaur action cowboys fight pterodactyls t-rexes fight cyracosaurs good times and the cowboys then, as you do, snag a uh, snag a T Rex, bring it back, and then then it's King Kong. Basically, you know, they put it on display. It goes wrong. Whoa, a <laughs> lot of <laughs> lot of like screaming animal sounds that I when I watched the movie on the TV, I thought was going to get me in trouble with like people calling the cops or something like that. Is because a lot of like you know Godzilla style like. That sort of thing. Um, anyway, dinosaur gets killed in a burning cathedral fire. It's all right. Beauty killed the beast or whatever. And there you go. Guanji. <laughs> so, Luke, uh, we, we, we're pretty sure Pat Mills must have seen this film at some point. Um, another film that in the 70s, like Conrad's uh, Cockney youngster would say a film that perhaps we'd heard of but couldn't see when did you first encounter it or come across it right I'm gonna say I really can't remember if I'm being honest but I'm gonna say that um, me and my brothers I'm one of four we we um, and we would watch 
this on perhaps it would come on a Sunday afternoon. I remember as a child, there used to be like a series of monster films on BBC Two at about six o'clock. Every day, I, 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 whether that's true or not, I remember, but it's a memory I've got. And that's when I watched it. So it was actually released before I was born anyway. So I've watched it on TV. And I remember as a kid um, that, well, it's cowboys and dinosaurs, as you say. I mean, you know, how can you go wrong, basically? So, yeah, as a, as a, it's almost like a, yeah, I've got good memories of watching it as a child. And, um, yeah, it's been a long time since I've watched it. Uh, since I've watched it, and um, mm-hmm. yes, obviously, uh, my my opinions of it has changed slightly. But it, it's uh, basically you can't get two films more pulled apart than distant hardware. I don't think in in you know in, <laughs> in sort of genre, yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's 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 sort of got a where we'll discuss its quality in a second. But it's got it's got a little bit of a sentimental place in my heart. I think. Conrad, had you seen it before? No, no, it's a, it's the first time for me. I actually got this one, um, like, although it's funny because when we first talked about this and you sort of mentioned Cowboys and Dinosaurs, I thought it was a different movie, actually, because I thought it was, um, it's called uh, The Beast of Hollow Mountain, which um, is also a Cowboy and Dinosaur film, but was a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie um, when they did their their relaunch in 2017. It has a different that has a different plot. That's much more of a sort of a you know they can only afford one dinosaur in that one, so it's got a different <laughs> different feel. But like this movie does definitely feel like some I, like not just because it's from nineteen it's from um, so so long ago, but just because um, like like the way I feel like and and Luke you talked about this too. The way I feel like I would encounter something like this just doesn't exist anymore. Where it's like a lazy Saturday and you know, they're just, there's nothing on the TV, like, and and the TV networks don't have anything to show. So they just sort of like put some movie on from, you know, that that's just lying around the the library. Like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, the next two hours, we're just going to go get some coffee and play Valley of (laughs) Bronte. You know, that's sort of what it feels like. Actually, I noticed it's 1969. It makes it so funny that like, you could walk out of uh, another movie we watched, Dirty Harry, and then walk into this in the same theater or something like that, you know? Yeah, very much indeed. I'm, I'm going to start us off with the, um, the humans before we get to the obvious sort of flesh comparisons and dinosaurs. Um, you know, it's 1969. It's the era of cowboy movies where they're all still extremely neatly dressed. They all wear very smart clothes to go out cowboying and cowgirling. Yeah, it's all these, all these pre-Deadwood cowboys, yes. you know. There's no mud about. Um, it, in terms of the plot and the humans, uh, you know, side of it, I found it a bit... They're not very good, I thought. Hmm. That's fair. <laughs> James Franciscus is, uh, he was in Beneath the Planet of the Apes, where he did indeed play the sort of second level Charlton Heston. The leading lady, Gila Colon, who had, she was a model as well as an actress, and she's very striking looking, but she, her voice uh, was dubbed by another actor. And I don't know who did that dubbing, but I recognise that voice from everywhere. It's, it's the dubbing voice, isn't it? <laughs> Luke, what did you make of the uh, the sort of cowboys part of the equation? It's dated, isn't it? Let's be <laughs> fair. Uh, <laughs> again, it, it again coming back to. I mean, they're, they're very different films, different settings, and everything else compared to hardware. But the the um, 
the approach and tone are so different. And as you as you've hinted, this is sort of pre. Is it pre for from um for, for a fistful of dollars? Is we pre the sort of that time, isn't it? Yeah, but obviously the the hasn't had it honestly. Yeah, but it hasn't obviously hasn't had that so much much of an influence as a film. Yeah. It's been yep. in production, been in development for yeah. a long time, isn't it? They've been talking about it for a while. Sorry, Conrad. Yeah, no, yeah. Fistful of Dollars is 64. Right. So it's sort of... I, oh, right. Like, I even say, like, 69 is pretty late. It's, like, kind of late for Westerns. Like, you're kind yeah. of getting into more sort of, like, like post-West or post-Western stuff. Or, you know, you get... Once you get into the 70s, then Westerns become a little bit more, like, you know, then you start to get more artistic with them and stuff like that. And much less, like, you know, oh, yeah, we just have horses on set, pal. We're just going to do Westerns this week. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, this this is definitely um, it. Harks harkens back to an older kind of western, doesn't it? Anyway, like you say, everybody's sort of clean cut. Everybody's neat. There's there's sort of it's it's not sort of grim or gritty or anything like that. Um, as far as the characters concerned, um, yeah, the the characterizations are quite dated. Um, when you consider uh, there's a lot of um, sexism, virginal misogyny in it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it's. They they sort of a bit wooden, but again, I mean, I'm here for the dinosaurs. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, shall I take us then to the uh, the reason then for the price of admission then the dinosaurs Ray Harryhausen Cowboys versus dinosaurs. Obviously, we're talking about flesh when we get to 2000 AD. Uh, Conrad, what did you make of the dinosaur action? And did you get any sort of any apart from just cowboys and dinosaurs? Did you get any other flesh sort of vibe from it? Well, I really liked, um, or s- s- something that was really funny or really interesting at the when, when they do the initial like when they're in sort of dinosaur in, in the dinosaur valley, basically. They very quickly explain that, um, oh, we brought our guns from the Wild West show, which just have blanks in them. So we can't just like <laughs> shoot these dinosaurs, basically, which I think was good because it meant that, you know, there's a lot more like visceral dino action. They got to craft spears and stuff like that. Um, man, you know, fun dinosaur stuff. I love anytime I can see that old timey, the old timey straight back t-rex of my youth i'm pretty excited you know you know sort of standing there it's got the little arms you know it'll bite you though be careful that's where like full flesh connections i mean a lot of the dinosaurs are the same actually like styracosaurs which we see fight uh guanji the 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 t-rex do show up in in flesh quite a bit i think that's one of the main food dinos you know there's a pterodactyl fight that i think is pretty um like Echoed in flesh as well, I think. And just, again, you know, murderous T-Rex. Um, there's no confirmation whether it's the matriarch of the T-Rex clan or just a T-Rex that's hanging out. You know, so no, we can't be for sure if it's old one eye or not. But I like to think that it might be, you know, could be could be a third female character in this film besides the, uh, fe- the uh, femme fatale, the witch lady, you know, also murderous dinosaur. That's fine. Yeah. 
Um, Luke, Ray Harryhausen, obviously, you know, one of the greats. Uh, we've shared a photo amongst ourselves from the Ray Harryhausen Instagram of a painting he did at some point in the late 1940s, I think, of a cowboy fighting a dinosaur. Clearly, as you say, this was something he always wanted to do. What do you make of the dinosaurs and his effects in this film? Well, on a, on a more, uh, more broad basis... Um, Watching this again, and again, it's been many years since I watched it. I was actually disappointed with there weren't quite enough dinosaurs in it for me, you know. Um, <laughs> as, as a kid, I remember there was loads, um, but no, there's not that many. But as far as the sort of stop motion and everything else, I don't know. They, I, I think they're well modeled. Um, apparently, there's some issues. I'm, I'm not a, I'm a dinosaur enthusiast. I'm certainly not a dinosaur expert, but I understand that they're not necessarily. I've, I've read on some um, websites that they're not necessarily accurate or to, to what the knowledge was at the time um but yeah, who really cares it's just it's just a film isn't it Let's just go with it um <laughs> but the actual, the actual stop motion and everything else i think is great i mean there's something about there's something about how a harryhausen having stop motion monsters which again maybe it's just because you sort of brought up watching them they're just more chilling than the cgi one i find um you know it's like jason and the argonauts skeletons i mean that that just that just creeps me out completely it's the amazing thing to watch um so i i think they're effective considering we're talking about a film that's 54 years old um but yeah i mean i I, I think yeah they they move in a really specific way that i think is really scary sorry or really like really distinctive i guess it's the way the dinosaurs or the skeletons or whatever that harry housing so how those models move is really interesting Mm, absolutely and at the end we also get dinosaur versus giant elephants just to be thrown in for a surprise as well which is also yeah i thought yeah i thought it's really interesting just that yeah all of the um like anytime there's an animal stunt or a thing in this movie it's all all claymation or all uh all harryhausen effect i guess is the, is the term but like you know there's like the like the little horse i mentioned is all mm-hmm. like a a lot of time, it seems like, went into just making this, like, you know, cute little horse kind of thing. Um, and, yeah, when, like, when an elephant does a trick, it's a Harryhausen elephant. Um, they do the uh, the wild hearts can't be broken thing where a lady jumps a horse into a into a swimming pool and it's a Harryhausen horse going in there, which I think is, you know, certainly much safer than <laughs> actually doing that for the horse. Real yeah, horse. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. <laughs> but um, for, probably for the best, honestly. But when I remember when that the first time that happened and we did the cut to the, you know, model going into the water, like, whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> what's going on here? You know, um, but I think it's a really good like, yeah, I mean, they're the they're really the like those effects are really the star of the movie. Like that's what you're what you're oh, here yeah. for. Definitely, it's not for the 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 romance or uh, paleontologist messing things up or something like that. Like we're we're here to see these beasts, and you know you get a good amount. You know, cowboys fighting dinosaurs. Dude, like punches a pterodactyl to death. I'm pretty in favor of that. Like. <laughs> t-rex versus elephants like i'm always up for that kind of thing like give me the two biggest things and make them fight like that's very again that's very little kid like you know concepts you know um yeah i thought that's it was was fine and very much you know what you're looking for for this kind of thing i guess although i agree could have had more dinosaurs we could have cut like 15 minutes out of this movie and just had some more dinosaurs walking around like that would have been ooh, that would have been much better you know 
<laughs> yes, I could have done with less time with the uh, the human leads and more time with the dinosaur leads. Um, the the valley of Guanji is blocked off by rocks, so the dinosaurs are in there. There's a tiny gap, which uh, this tiny little horse has obviously come out through. The cowboys are going to widen that gap to get in. Um, I know I'm going to say this is a really stupid question. I should just go with it. Why doesn't the pterodactyl <laughs> fly out of the valley of Guanji? Mm, it's a good question. Oh, <laughs> it's back. I think I think that's back to Conrad's. Um, why did they take blanks to? Um, why did to a valley full of dinosaurs? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, no, well, it's got, it's, it's made uh, ancient deals that it can only do, so, you know, it can only interfere on the direst of circumstances. It's bound by the same, uh, <laughs> by the same things that, that, that keeps them from riding the eagles to, to, uh, <laughs> oh, <that's laughs> the, 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 the eagles to destroy the oh, ring in Mount man. Doom, you know, like there's sort of, there's ancient compacts that they can't break, you know, filmed in Spain, um, it almost makes it a spaghetti western. Uh, the director, according to the, an interview with the producer, the director sort of lost interest halfway through the shoot. Um, there's some weird stuff, reversals going on between the male and female leads as to which one is the avaricious one and which one wants to get by a ranch and settle down and have lots of kids, which seems to switch halfway through the film. Mm-hmm. Ray Harryhausen obviously didn't lose interest. He keeps the keeps us going with throwing in the dinosaurs. We just needed more of them, really, didn't we? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as always, like... Whenever there's a movie, you know, whenever there's a special effects movie, whenever there's something with a big monster, especially with a big monster, like my criticism is always I, I, I want more of that monster. You know, like yeah. if I, if I have any criticism for any Godzilla movie, it's just I, I need more Godzilla. I need more, I need it in here. You know, I want this, you know, whatever. I, I could have seen a T-Rex fight like three more different monsters, three more different dinos. I'm ready for it. Uh, why? Why not? We're here anyway. You know. This pipeline in the 1970s, uh, guys, between films that kids could hear about but not see, I'm guessing 2000 AD readers, their parents had probably seen Valley of the Guanji or Valley of Guanji uh, and told them about it. And as Conrad's voice would say, you know, just like the wonderful prospect of cowboys, dinosaurs in the same thing. And then, of course, in 1977, we get flesh in the prog. Um, it's, it's a well-worn pipeline, I guess, for Pat Mills and John Wagner and people of that ilk in the 70s, but remarkably successful. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we've talked about it a lot just on this in, in the film club here. And all these different movies. I mean, it's something that I think continued to exist, honestly. I mean, I remember back to a, to a previous episode, you know, while I personally, as I mentioned there, saw RoboCop at a very young age. Many other kids didn't, but still, like, you know, they had RoboCop toys, there were Terminator 2 toys, all that kind of thing. Like, if, if anything, it just expanded to doing more with having, you know, ki- like kids who have c- – who have j- seen commercials and their parents talking about um, these movies, then take advantage of of giving them little pieces of it and stuff like that. I mean, I wonder. I don't know. Like, I wonder if you would have taken a kid to see Valley of Guanji. Honestly, I don't know. It doesn't seem super. Like, I don't know what the rating for it were. If there even were ratings at the time in 1969, it feels like a movie you take a kid to. That there's a kid like and. 
that's kind of why I feel like there's a kid character and it is sort of like, uh, you know, like identify a figure, yeah. con artist, little kid or whatever. Mm. Um, the sort of, it feels like the kind, like definitely feels like the kind of thing that a kid, like a, 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 a young person would see the poster for and need to see it just as later they would, you know, hear the concept of flesh and really want to check that out as well. You know, exactly. I mean, I, I, I yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it is another one of those films. I'd like to say, uh, for 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 Welsh boys, I mean, they we really like the concept of it, so of course we're going to watch it, and it's going to be appealing. Um, it's definitely something I'd probably want to go see. In this, I would have wanted to go in and see in the cinema, and I think at the time I might have been sort of blown away by it. Um, now less so. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's the, the the past of time. You know, it's sort oh, of exactly, you know, exactly. It's, as it's, always, it's, these movies are walking so other movies can run. You know, that kind of thing. Oh, that's right. It's it's about it's about three or four years of filmmaking away, isn't it? Ago, isn't it? When you consider, I mean, just just take the leap from if we talk about dinosaurs, um, Ray, Ray Harryhausen is king, isn't he? But if you take the leap from the Dinosaurs and Valley of Guanji to Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. You know, they look far more sophisticated in Jurassic Park. I mean, I still oh, maintain that I still maintain the very Harryhausen's dinosaurs are scarier though. <laughs> Quick shout out for the character name that James Franciscus plays is uh, his character is called Tuck Kirby, which is a good solid hero name, I think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they square George. Tuck's wooden. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Big question, of course. Uh, would we recommend this one to 2000D readers who've not yet seen Valley of Guanji? Um, and where do we, where would we put it in Ray Harryhausen's canon? Uh, Luke, what do you, when do you start us off? Okay, I would say yes. I would recommend people to watch this. It's, I mean, the, with both films, the 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 both positive of both films are that they're, they're, they're not that long <clears throat> either. They sort of, they don't hang about. They don't stay longer than they need to. Um, the character, like I say, the characterization in this is a bit wooden. There should be more dinosaurs and everything else. But you know what? As we were discussing earlier, as a good wet Sunday afternoon or wet Saturday afternoon film, it's good fun. Um, it's 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 a bit of fun. It's a bit of a laugh. It yes, it certainly looks quite dated now, but. Um, I mean, just for cowboys going up against dinosaurs and basically riffing off King Kong, Lost World, and seeing sort of the inspiration for um, Flesh. I would though I don't know whether there's been a a, a, a a specific name link between them, but you can clearly see the inspiration between it. I I mean, I I'd work it. I I would just for you know if you've got nothing else to nothing else to watch, passes the time. It's of the two. I I definitely prefer Valley of Guanji. Conrad, did you have fun with this one? Yeah, it was fine. Yeah, like, it was fine. It's like you know, it is what it is. Basically, of this sort of like like old time special effects movie that would be on. Yeah, again, middle of the day sort of acting is a little wooden, but it's you know, colors are bright, doesn't overstay its welcome. Dinosaurs are pretty fun. Like effects are pretty good generally. Yeah, it's 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 inoffensive, and I I agree that I think it is really. If you're interested to see sort of the sort of like with uh, with with Hell Drivers, which we also watched, like I think it's interesting just to see sort of where some of these concepts come from. I know for me, especially like you know, not growing up in that environment and being a little bit more more removed from it, seeking some of these things out just and just see sort of how 
creative minds take one thing and turn it into something else. I'm always very interested in that. I think it's an, you know, it's fun to check out. Of of the two, this one is I'd 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 recommend more. Although I'd say, you know, of the Ray Harryhausen movies, and I think the creators of the film recognize this as well. Like this is not sort of like if you want to show Harryhausen as someone, I would not pick up. Valley of the Guanji first, you know, it's very much a, uh, a secondary title to something like Jason, the Argonauts or something like that. Yeah. I, I'd second that. Yeah. It's, it's definitely deeper dive. <laughs> yeah, once you will, when- Is Jason of the Argonauts the best Ray Harryhausen film? I, I think so. so. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Isn't it? Yeah. Just it's not one of the best skeletons. films of all time. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, definitely one that's yeah <laughs> up there heavily for sure. Um, like yourselves, I think this was a lot of fun, particularly for the dinosaur stuff. Uh, it's also, I think it is quite fun to see what Westerns look like before, as you say, Conrad, before Deadwood and before Unforgiven, where Clint Eastwood is going to mm-hmm. head to. Yeah, the pretty Westerns where they all are very neatly attired. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, I think this is fun and I would recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's got an obvious link to Flesh. Um, I'm sure Pat saw this film. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, again, when you look at the, it's so obviously like, all right, well, we'll, we'll do something, you know, it's, it's sort of been black. It's sort of, if you, uh, if you, if you Blackhawked Valley of the Guanji becomes flesh, like we go, all right, well, we got to take this, but we got to make it sci-fi also. So, okay, they're, they're time traveling cowboys and we'll make it a little, a little gritty and punkish. Like, oh yeah, it's because there's no meat in the future, you know, like, as much as, as as much as I'll always cling to my uh, to my little kid focus group, you can also see sort of the writer's room kind of being like, well, we've got the like, you know, here's the stew we're making. But I think that because they're able to kind of make it their own it, for a movie of influences, it feels like you compare it to, say, hardware, actually, you can kind of see how Flash sort of takes something that's influenced by pretty directly by something, but then making it its own, making it its own like sort of complete story and like cohesive story as well great stuff anything else you wanted to mention from your notes luke before i wrap us up no i don't think so i mean the other thing i was probably worth um mentioning is that when i was considering that the, the two films apart from the fact that um the either one influenced 2080 story and the other one was was basically a ripoff of a 2080 story the other thing that they'll sort of link them is Kevin, Kevin O'Neill. Kevin O'Neill um, mm. drew shock, but also he was a huge um, film fan and particularly a huge Ray Harryhausen fan. And he interviewed him, I think, mm. in the early days when he was doing when he was editing film magazines. Um, so that for me, that was that was the, that was the extra link. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I mean, the, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I've had the opportunity to watch the two of them again. Um, definitely, Valley of the Guanji is definitely the favourite one. The uh, Hardware, yeah, just watch with some paracetamol or something, I think. <laughs> <laughs> nice to think about Kevin O'Neill and uh, spare a memory for uh, one of our favourite creators. Mm-hmm. So, Conrad, we do have other films uh, already lined up for the Mega City Film Club. Uh, listener suggestions. We've got a few films to watch coming up in 2024. Absolutely. So, as ever... If you have a film that you can link to 2000 AD, if no one else can help, and if you can find us, maybe you can join the Mega City Film Club. <laughs> and I'll take us out with our links, Conrad. 
uh, Space Spinner 2000. We're, you know, we're working on it. There's a lot going on. I'm sorry, everybody. But we're finishing up 94 into 95. It's the future. Oh, my God. We're getting there. And Luke, your writings can be found at... Everything comes back to 2080, um, where I've slowed down my output a little bit, but I'm hopefully going to pick up again. Um, you sh- I'm hoping to get the third installment of my Devlin War potted history out soon. I'm also I also write for um, John Freeman's Down the Tubes, and I write for uh, Comic Scene. Nice. And all those links, as ever, will be in the show notes for this episode, along with links to uh, megacitybookclub.com, where you'll find all our episodes and some uh, notifications about upcoming episodes as well. Great stuff, guys. Thank you very much for being on another episode of the Film Club. Uh, Conrad and I will have to be talking about some uh, Marvel and DC movies at some point, and then the Film Club will return in 2024. Exciting times. Until next time, I've been Eamon. I'm Conrad. I'm Luke. And we have been Mega Mega City City Film Club. Club.